Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we are set to explore another movie. Uh, This week, this Wednesday, it is Mary Poppins. And as it goes, sometimes Father Mike is not here as he was pulled away due to his priestly commitments. Really, we are fortunate that he is with us the majority of the time. So again, Mary Poppins... You know, and the people that I have spoken with, the critique of this movie seems to be pretty far-ranging from great like uh, to great dislike. I will tell you that I rather enjoyed the movie. I watched it with my 11-year-old daughter who is very much into musicals, so I enjoyed it. Certainly there are many Christian themes to talk about, and we will get into those. Now, I know most of us are familiar with this 50-year-old musical, and that is to say familiar with what family but the Banks family, right? Um, from the outset, uh, we quickly see that life is a bit sour on Cherry Tree Lane, that street we are all familiar with, since the lead character, Michael Banks, uh, lost his wife. Now, in this movie, Michael Banks is played by Ben Wishaw. Who is Ben Wishaw? Maybe you are familiar with the most recent M in the Bond series, in the 007 series. It's interesting. <laughs> You become familiar with an actor through a particular character, and then it's hard to make the jump or sometimes leap over the chasm between two very different characters. And in the case of Ben Winshaw, you know, you have this character M in 007 who is very (laughs) different than Michael Banks in Mary Poppins Returns. So I have to say, it took a getting used to uh, seeing this actor play Michael Banks, this important a character in Mary Poppins. And so as the movie kind of sets out to explain, Michael Banks is left to tend his three very energetic and high-spirited children alone. Um, and it's interesting, immediately you get a sense of what these three children are about. You know, in Annabelle, you have the cautious and logical. In John, you have the reliable and sensible. And in Georgie, you have the idealistic and adventurous. And I will tell you, having four children of my own that are roughly the ages of these children, there were a number of, hmm, moments. Yeah, I see that, (laughs) okay? And lastly, you have uh, the character of Jane, Michael's sister, who, you know, when she's not busy protesting for the workers' cause, she was there for Michael, helping Michael uh, raise the three children, which, by the way, was something that was never really explored and was just kind of there. Uh, In fact, I would say that this part of the movie was the one part of the movie that left something to be desired, because if you are going to bring in a social cause like that, especially today, uh, I think you have to give it more teeth, and certainly that end of the movie, what her sister Jane was all about and and her cause didn't, it just seemed out of place, if you will. All right, anyhow, to the plot. So the same day the sink bursts into the bank's kitchen, okay? (laughs) Two lawyers arrive from the bank to nail up a notice on their front door, telling Michael that unless he can pay back the loans he took out to cover his wife's deathbed expenses in full, the bank will repossess his house. 
And so, really, Michael is left with few options. You know, he finds himself in what I would argue is an anguish as opposed to a despair. And actually, that is going to be a real point of emphasis for us this evening to distinguish between those two. Uh, So just when the hour seems its most dire, a seemingly wayward kite blows the practically perfect Mary Poppins into their lives. And so as Mary Poppins enters into the lives of the Banks family like she did 50 years ago, she brings magic once more to the Banks family. And as she does, what is it that she's doing? But restoring that sense of childlike abandonment, restoring that sense of childlike hope for Michael and Jane. And as she does that, as the movie tells us ultimately, she saves them from debacle and ruin. Okay, so here I would like to, again, speak into some of the themes of this movie. First, the theme of anguish, or what some might call despair in the life of Michael. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the anxiety that Michael felt, huh? When having to pay back his loans, and some may be having to do so after having lost a loved one, and God bless you for your struggle and grace, if you are being called to that. Uh, In saying that, I wish to put before you a question. Is Michael in anguish? Or is Michael in despair? Or does it even matter, okay, to distinguish between the two? Uh, Let's engage this. When understood as a sin uh, and not simply an emotional experience, despair consists of giving up on God, right? Or freely concluding that I am such a horrible sinner that not even God can forgive me. I am so unlovable that he will never come to my aid with his grace, those phrases that we say to ourselves when we're struggling with our, our shame and our guilt. Certainly you can see how that attitude, hopefully, is not congruent with that of the Holy Spirit, since God's goodness, since God's power, since God's mercy are what but limitless. huh? His grace, God's grace, can always conquer sin and give us hope. Uh, speaking to despair, the Catechism of the Catholic Church I believe it is what paragraph 2091 states that the first commandment is also concerned with sins against hope, namely despair and presumption. By despair, man ceases to hope for his personal salvation from God, for help in attaining it, or for the forgiveness of his sins. Despair is contrary to God's goodness, to his justice, for the Lord is faithful to his promises and to his mercy. So what are we made to reflect upon here, my friends? But that faith in God invites us to always have hope in Him, no matter how bad things get. Because why? We know that He is our Savior and Redeemer. And and what are those words that we read from Matthew chapter 19, verse 26? But with God, all things are possible. So as we reflect upon this, I would say that, yeah, Michael is not struggling with despair in that sense, as we speak to it. But rather, because of the death of his loved one, his wife, he is in the midst of a deep sorrow that now has to deal with the practical reality of raising his three children without his wife. And a point of fact, this is said explicitly in the movie. He is struggling to raise these three children without his wife. So, I don't know if he's in despair, inasmuch as he is in anguish. 
And deep and painful anguish is not the same thing as committing the sin of despair. So important for us to understand this in the spiritual life. Here we might turn to Scripture to help us get a hold of what we are talking about here. Um, How about Job? (laughs) Job had a pretty extraordinary experience of anguish. It went so far as to him actually praying to the Lord to end his life. What do we read from Job chapter 6, verses 8 to 9? Oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant what I long for, even that God would decide to crush me, that he would put forth his hand and cut me off. Is he in despair or anguish? He's in anguish, right? Because he has faith, but even in his faith, he's anguishing over what has befallen him. The prophet Jonah lifted up a similar prayer, did he not? In the midst of his frustration, in the midst of his anger, in the midst of his anguish in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. What do we read? So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. If you have experienced the crushing blow of the cross, you know exactly the kind of prayer that Job and Jonah offer up here. And let me tell you, my friends, This doesn't mean you are without faith. This means that you are entering fully into your humanity. Why do I bring up Job and Jonah? Because they are praying. Despair is the absence of faith, the absence of hope. One who despairs doesn't pray. Job and Jonah found themselves in a similar emotional state, even though their experiences and triggers were different. Now, we are not going to find Michael offering up a prayer to God and Mary Poppins. (laughs) right? But if you are experiencing this kind of anguish, I would recommend that you offer up a prayer from the heart, that interior place, of course, to which we all withdraw. When you need to talk to God, bring yourself to God. Perhaps maybe using these passages from Job and Jonah, or similar ones that come to us from the book of Psalms. Here I'm thinking of Psalm chapter 88, that describe the triumph of great suffering. If you wish to give voice to what you are experiencing, go to these psalms, go to these prayers. Trust that God has not abandoned you and use that honest prayer as a way to counteract any temptation to to ultimately a despair that may begin to arise in your heart. Brothers and sisters, God knows how anguished life in this fallen world can become. This is why he entered into the mystery of the cross, But he also knows how to bring good out of evil, light out of darkness, holiness out of the crucible of suffering. Now, how does Michael overcome his anguish? The character Michael banks in the movie. But by not going it alone, right? I might encourage you to seek support from real people whom you can meet with face to face and pray with them and lean on if you are experiencing some kind of anguish. Brothers and sisters, we are not meant to persevere in our Christian journey alone. We are to, what do we read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2? That passage comes to me now. We are called to bear each other's burdens. Reach out. Hmm. You may, hopefully, you will find support and fellowship, and then you will also be able to give support to others. Perhaps, perhaps, in surprising ways. So I speak into this point of anguish because, at least for me, it was one that I have not only experienced, 
but I also have found that many others have as well. My dear friends, hope (laughs) begins when you stop tormenting yourself and you begin to accept the present moment for what it is, a gift from God that He desires to use for your salvation and in and through your willingness to offer such suffering to God for the salvation of others, will He begin to unveil, lift up the curtain, if you will, the deeper meaning of the present moment. You know, it was revealed to Michael the deeper design of why everything had come to pass, okay? God says to us, Do you not know if I wanted you to do something, then I would make it happen? If I wanted your plans to come to fruition, then they would? I have called you here for myself. I have a plan for you. And even in the most dire circumstances, he calls us to step into that plan and walk that path. Christian hope already possesses in anticipation of what is to come, the confident assurance of things yet to come. Benedict XVI in his encyclical and his document on hope, Space Alvi, says, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, faith is the substance of our hope. What we believe moves us to hope in what we believe. Okay? And again, pouring this back into the movie, towards the end of the movie, Michael begins to hope. And as he does, he begins to believe. And when he does, magic happens in his life. Okay? All right. All that being said, what else can we say about the movie? Well, certainly, this is a movie that speaks to the imagination. As Father Mike and I have already spoken to the importance of the imagination as a faculty of the soul, I will say that I would be remiss if we did not talk about it ever so briefly here. My friends, while this film is rife with so many positive takeaways on how to weather hard times and and just more generally difficult circumstances, in many ways, it's fundamentally about the awe and power of the inexplicable in our very real lives, the dream that manifested in real life, the uncanny awareness of having already been somewhere you've just arrived for the first time, the impossible coincidence but God incident, I dare say, that leaves a trail of goosebumps up your arms. And we could also say that overwhelming sensation that overcomes you when you look up at a starry night and realize the mystery and vastness of the sky. What am I talking about? But how when we utilize the imagination, that faculty of the soul, to its greater purpose, all of these things come to pass. Here, the movie Mary Poppins Returns seems to say to us, essentially, underneath the monotony of your daily routine, and for some of us, (laughs) your daily grind, is the life that awaits if you just believe. If you just believe. Throughout this movie, Mary Poppins repeatedly asks us to suspend disbelief and feel the force that lies beyond reason. She sings that song, Can You Imagine That?, to urge the young children into the bath, where she promises they'll discover a rich underworld. You know, and of course, they don't bite at first. But after a bit of convincing the three, along with Mary Poppins herself, what, dive into this shiny kind of uh, clawfoot tub where they end up in an ocean full of enchanting sea creatures, uh, uh, abandoned old ships, and, and pirates searching for treasure, right? 
This is the imagination, at least of my five-year-old, <laughs> right? What is going on here, my friends? What does Mary Poppins want to teach us here that has everything to do with our Christian and Catholic faith? It was Albert Einstein who once said, the most beautiful emotion we can experience is the mysterious. It is the power of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, Einstein says, who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. Which is to say, my dear friends, if we cannot stand before the starry sky or swim in the ocean and, and not behold something greater than us, well, our spiritual lives have gone dormant. We need to rediscover that most beautiful faculty of the soul. Hmm? The power to imagine, the power to wonder. Or, as Mary Poppins put it in the first movie, the power to step into that what is... Let me get this right. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Okay, say that five times fast. Mary Poppins' supercalifragilisticexpialidocious is really the power to step into that capacity we have to imagine. Hmm? Imagine. Maybe my next blog is going to be titled Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and it'll be an examination into the power of imagining which is to stand before the awe and reverence of all that is majestic and powerful, to read God's first love letter to man, creation. Okay, lastly, as far as themes and motifs go, uh, one thought that came to my mind watching Mary Poppins Returns is that Mary Poppins can be seen as a Marian figure. Yes, Mary is more than just a nanny, <laughs> okay, but she, like Mary Poppins, intercedes, advocates on our behalf when we are most in need. Really, the allegory is there in plain sight. Mary Poppins, the Blessed Virgin Mary, huh? They both come flying in to help us when we are most in need. In the end, my friends, the message of this movie is that family is more important than wealth, and that good always triumphs over evil. And that, yes, you should never lose hope. Mary Poppins teaches the children, their father and her cousin, the importance of learning to look at things in a new and more optimistic way. And maybe I should say, because I'm not big on that word optimism, because it confuses itself with hope, <laughs> Mary teaches the children to hope, rather than allowing the troubles to get the best of them. What's interesting now, my friends, is that when you watch this movie, you see that Mary Poppins orchestrates events so that the Banks family learns lessons and really save themselves along the way. Now, God doesn't necessarily orchestrate, right? We have free will. But in the end, in his permissive will, in his sovereignty, what he allows is about our salvation. And you can kind of see this play itself out in the movie. Excuse me. And lastly, I just might say that one of the reasons why this message came through so strong was how strongly uh, Emily Blunt played Mary Poppins. Uh, you know, we were just talking about Ben Winshaw and 
him playing M in the Bond series and now him playing Michael Banks and Mary Poppins Returns and how different these were. Gosh, well, Emily Blunt playing Mary Poppins <laughs> and her playing their character she played in A Quiet Place, how different can you get there? It's really fascinating, but gosh, good actors, good actresses can really carry a movie. And I thought, for all intents and purposes, Emily Blunt did a fine job of carrying this movie, carrying the message. You know, she was compassionate but firm. She was adventurous but prudent, right? This is the kind of thing that good acting can bring out, those virtues and those attributes that belong to real people. And just as real people can carry their narrative, so does good acting carry the narrative of a story on the stage. And that's part of what helps us enter into that narrative on the stage and how that narrative is kind of called to look back at us and help us ask questions about ourselves, you know, and how we might become a better version of who we are called to be. Amen? Amen. All right. So, just by way of closing thought to our evening together, I did want to say one last thing, and that is Mary Poppins Returns is a family movie. Father Mike and I have not talked a whole lot about this, but there's something to be said about a family coming together, watching a movie, and being able to talk about it. You know, so many movies today, they're rated R, PG-13, even some of the PG movies now, it's, it's hard for a family to come together and talk about its redemptive themes. I want to encourage you, if you have a family with young kids, to sit down, watch this movie, or a similar movie like it, to then be able to talk about it. One of the singular focuses of Father Mike and I is getting us thinking differently about the movies we watch. And you don't necessarily always have to agree with us, right? But just the idea in principle that the stories we behold on the screen aren't so distant from the stories we live each and every day, and they have something to tell us. And what's more, there is a power in the genre of storytelling in a movie insofar as the cinema experience can allow us to engage the story on the screen that actually might bring us into a deeper understanding about ourselves. And my hope then is, in the end, you can sit down, talk about a movie and its redemptive themes, and out from that conversation, be thinking about your own life differently, always within the context of revelation and truth, and always within the context of reason. But reasonably speaking, it's plausible and probable that you can get something out of most movies you watch, and certainly those which tap into the deeper Christian truths. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.